The Ziggler Show. Timeless inspiration from Zig Ziggler that's influenced over 250 million people worldwide. Inspiring true performance in your work and life today. Welcome to episode 326 of The Ziggler Show. I'm your proud host, Kevin Miller, and my quote for you today is, when you don't have focus, you put energy into not losing what you have and you don't gain much. When you have focus, you put energy into gain and you can't lose. From that, our title for today's show is Break Down to Build Up. Today's show is brought to you by a kindred show, a show that's literally at the top of the charts, a show that not only embodies the spirit and message of Ziggler, but was actually significantly inspired literally by the impact Zig Ziggler had on the host. The show is the Art of Charm Podcast. Com. Just look in iTunes or Stitcher for The Art of Charm and you'll find it at the top of the charts. The Art of Charm teaches the powerful weapons that are at the core of Ziggler as well, like influence and persuasion that allow you to network better for business, make more friends with ease, and learn to increase business contacts the natural way. In our next show, theartofcharmpodcast.com host, Jordan Harbinger is our special guest, and you'll hear his personal Ziggler story. And folks, it's a powerful, powerful story. So again, go to theartofcharmpodcast.com. Tom, the essence of success is taking action, engaging, and participating. Where can people do this next with Ziggler? Well, Kevin, we have two uh, workshops coming up called the Ziggler Leadership Success Workshops. They're going to be July 20th and August 19th. July 20th is in Dallas. August 19th is in Houston. And both of those are half-day programs for leaders, business owners, executives, managers, anybody who has somebody they want to influence to be successful in a team or a work environment. All right, beauty. So, folks, you can uh, find that at Ziggler.com and then click the Events tab. All right, folks, we are now going to dive into a 10-minute clip from Zig. As always, it's inspiring, entertaining, and hard-hitting. So listen in. Then, as always, we're going to break it down and go deeper into how you can embrace the message in your life. Basically, how do you change all those people I'm talking about? You don't. You change you. And when you change you, that's when your world begins to change See, God said to build a better world, and I said, how? It's such a cold and lonely place, and I'm so small and useless, there's nothing I can do. But God, in all His wisdom, said, just build a better you. That's what this is about, building a better you. Because, you see, you got to be before you can do. you got to do before you can have. you got such a wide range of choices, and we're filled with them. Read a story of some twins, two twins. One of them was an alcoholic. One of them was enormously successful. Their father was an alcoholic. In separate interviews, they asked the alcoholic twin, how did it happen that you became an alcoholic? He said, I had no choice. You see, my father was an alcoholic. They asked a very successful young man, how'd you do it? He said, I had no choice. You see, my father was an alcoholic. I didn't want to be like him. The choice, you see, is ours. And we go through life with that. Now, as you can tell, as I said earlier, I, I do tell a lot of stories. I'm going to share a lot of philosophy with you. Philosophy simply means the love of wisdom. 
One of the things that you will hear me say over and over is that you can have everything in life you want. If you'll just help enough, other people get what they want. I'll be quoting an awful lot of people. I'll be quoting uh, Fred Smith. I'll be quoting John Maxwell, John Johnson, Mary Kay, Mary Crowley, Solomon, Lincoln, Confucius, Emerson, St. Augustine, Christ, Helen Keller, Mother Teresa, Dr. Farris Tennant, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, Martin Luther King, George Washington Carver. I'll be quoting Mahatma Gandhi and many, many others. I try to give credit when I, somebody gives me information. I do that for three reasons. Number one, it is the right thing to do. Number two, it indicates I've done my research. Number three, if it's wrong, I can always say, you know, that fellow ought to have known better than that, okay? Now, let me say to you without any fear of error that you were born to win. But in order to be the winner that you were born to be, you got to plan to win, you got to prepare to win, and then and only then can you legitimately expect to win. Let me also tell you something else. Most of you in this live audience honestly and sincerely believe that my overhead is fairly well fouled up. <laughs> now, am I right on that, please, all right? Let me, uh, let me point out that really it is not fouled up. It is simply a little out of focus. Does that make it better? You see, focus makes a lot of difference. Focus simply means that you're in the same place physically and emotionally. Dr. Lewis Terman in 1920 at Stanford University started a study on 1,440 gifted youngsters. When he retired, another professor was assigned to them. They followed them to the end of their life. Many of them were extremely successful, brilliant young men and women. Many of them had gone on to great success. Not a single one attributed their IQ to their success. What they attributed to their success was their ability to focus on the issue at hand. You see, a lot of people, when they're working on the job, they're thinking about other things. They're thinking about the family. When they're with the family, they're thinking about the job. And they're not doing either job very effectively. You really need to be able to focus on what's going on. Now, let me simply say this. Uh, you were born to win, but you got to plan, you got to prepare, and you got to expect to win. Bobby Knight, who's won three national championships in basketball at Indiana University, says that the will to win is nothing without the will to prepare to win. In the National Football League, and I'm not a football expert, authority, the only thing I know about football and know that I know is that when the official calls a foul on the Cowboys, he is wrong. That's the only thing I really know about the game. But I do know one other thing about it, and that is this. In the last two minutes of the half and in the last two minutes of the game, they score 20% of all of the points that are scored during the entire 60 minutes. In four minutes, they score 20% of all of the points in the entire 60 minutes. And the reason they do is they have the two-minute offense. End of the first half, end of the second half is when they do the score. And they plan to score. They prepare to score. And consequently, they expect to score. Then incredibly enough, the defense cooperates with them to help them score. <laughs> now, I know as you sit there in your car or whatever you're doing, listen to this. You're thinking, now, Ziegler, that's crazy, man. Why, the defense all week long, they practice that defense. They have what they call their prevent defense. 
They take the linebackers out. They send in their nickel backs. They put in their two best pass rushers. They get in a bend but don't break mode. They call it their prevent defense. Well, let me ask you a question. If they score three times as fast against the prevent defense as they do the regular defense, is it prevent or permit? What do you think? Now, let me kind of get us together and uh, think because, you see, a few thousand years ago, a fellow named Job said something that's profound. He said, that which I feared greatly has come to pass. They're afraid they're going to score, and that fear comes to pass. Now, psychologists will tell you in a New York minute, and for your information, that's 32 seconds. They will tell you in a New York minute that you move to the strongest impression in your mind. And if you're afraid they're going to score on you, then the chances go up that, yes, they will score on you. Did you know that if an arresting police officer keeps the light flashing when he pulls a motorist aside, that the odds are seven times as great that he will be run into by a passing motorist? That's right. They call it the moth attraction. The field goal kicker who says, oh, I'll miss it, we'll lose the game, is much more likely to miss it than is the one who says, I'll split the uprights, we'll win the game. The worst possible thing a parent can say to a child who wants to help with the dishes is, okay, but be careful. This is our best china. Don't break it. If they had sat up all night praying, Lord, what can I tell this kid to help him break the dishes? They couldn't have done a better job in doing it. The sales manager who sends a salesperson out and said, now this is our number one account. Don't foul it up. Uh, you know, couldn't have given them worse instruction. I'm sending you out because I have complete confidence that you're the one person I can depend on to handle this in the very best possible way. Let me give you a specific example. How many of you remember the tragedy that took place in San Francisco in 1982 when the San Francisco 49ers beat the Dallas Cowboys in the FC Championship game? Now, I know a lot of you folks listening to this are not going to think that's a tragedy, but believe me, it was. You remember what happened. Dallas had uh, just gone ahead. They had scored a touchdown. Now they kick off. Two minutes of play. Montana leads the 49ers all the way down the field. We've got our prevent defense in there. And uh, you know what the play was? He sends Dwight Clark into the end zone. He throws him the pass. Clark doesn't realize he's trying to throw the ball out of the stadium. He jumps 28 feet straight up in the air. Makes the catch. The 49ers win the game. Now, when uh, the Cowboys got back the next day, Tex Ram, who was the president of the Cowboys at that time, was being interviewed by the media. And they asked him, uh, Tex, what happened? And he gave us a lesson in life with his answer. He said, the Dallas Cowboys went out there determined not to lose the game. The San Francisco 49ers went out there determined to win the game. See, in this series, I want you thinking, how do I win the game? What I know about football, I'm not a football coach, but I am a verbal coach. I wouldn't send nickel backs out there to defend for my team. How much value? If somebody said, I'm going to send my nickel employee out to help you. I mean, I got a other service person, you know. Hey, would, would that really turn the lights your fire? Or would you think, boy, you know, I'll be at least a dime. Well, anyhow, 
What I would do is I would send the Bruise Brothers out there. I would send the takeover guys. I would send the control team out there. I would send the intimidators out there. I would send somebody out determined not only to keep them from scoring, but to take that ball away and us score ourselves. Yes, I believe that you were designed for accomplishment. I believe you're engineered for success. I believe you're endowed with the seeds of greatness. You were born to win, but you got to have a plan if you are going to win. All right, Tom. So Zig leads off with how do you change all those people you think need changing? And, of course, the answer is you don't. You change you. And when you change you, that's when your world begins to change. So to build a better world, build a better you is what he's saying. So how many people do you know, and I know lots, Tom, Actually, I've been one, you know, too. How many people have a cause, a soapbox, a crusade to change the world with good intent, great intent, heartfelt intent, and yet they don't get very far with that? We all know those people or have been those people or are currently those people. Uh, Because, you know, it's, again, going back to what he said, it's trying to change what's outside of us instead of the most powerful asset we have, which is ourselves. So we must put the effort first and foremost into changing who we are. Nothing will change the world more than increasing our own ability. So, Tom, how can someone hear that last statement? Okay, just what I said. Nothing will change the world more than increasing our own ability. How can someone hear that statement without it feeling a bit narcissistic, self-focused? Yeah. Well, I tell you that, you know, the statement that comes to my mind, you probably heard is, if you go out looking for friends, they might be hard to find. Hmm. But if you go out to be a friend, suddenly you can find them everywhere. And I think it's the same thing. We, we need to put ourselves in the, in the shoes of other people and understand what they're looking for. And so what they're looking for is the right kind of person. So when we start focusing within ourselves to become that right person, then all of a sudden we are surrounded with and attracted to and people are attracted to us because we're matching up those right qualities that we have, honesty, integrity, caring, somebody who's focused on the other one's needs first. It changes everything. It's not narcissistic because we're not doing it for our own benefit. We're doing it for the benefit of those we're around. And when we do that, that's what makes the right people attracted to us. Okay, so it's in essence kind of the kind of the Dave Ramsey thing where he says, you know, money is a brick. You can build an orphanage with it or throw it through somebody's window. It's just a brick. So in this uh, we're saying nothing can change the world more than increasing our own ability, but it's not increasing our own ability to be uh, popular, famous, and pad our own bank account necessarily. It's incre- you're, you're saying increasing our own ability to, in, in essence, to serve and connect right. to others. Yeah, our ability to solve problems. I mean, just think about that. If everybody knows that, hey, we're the ultimate problem solver whether it's a business problem, a personal problem, a financial problem, whatever it is, if we're the ultimate problem solver, people are going to be lining up to come see us. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's some of this in what you said and then what Zig said that we, you know, look externally, we don't look internally into changing ourselves and changing ourselves is, is difficult. And that's what we're talking about. That's, that's the essence of what Ziggler's about, you know, personal, inspiring true performance, inspiring personal development. And it reminded me, Tom, as I was listening to this clip from him about people who exercise and work out. I mean, why do some do it day after day with little gain and others make great strides? Uh, and I thought, well, the latter push to the pain. They push to break down muscle so it can be rebuilt. And that's what led me to the title of today's show. 
you know, changing ourselves involves pain. I mean, it just does. And that's why so few people actually go after it. Now, the, the benefit is huge. We know that. And that's what we're talking about. But the actual getting to the nitty gritty, changing ourselves involves pain. It involves breaking ourselves down in order to rebuild stronger, breaking down habits, breaking down ties and bonds that hold us back, often from our upbringing. I mean, generational curses, says the Bible, you know, breaking down addictions, breaking down beliefs, breaking down biases and prejudices. Breaking down the norm, breaking down comforts, breaking down all we know that we blindly hold on to because it's just all we know. And so, again, it's not to, to, to berate ourselves, but it's all we know and we've got to rise above that. And it ultimately means breaking down our comfort. So, Tom, uh, I've prepped you about this before. We've talked about this because I was looking for the right time, and this is it. A couple years ago, you sat around a big fire pit at my house high up here in the Rockies where I'm near where I'm sitting today, and I asked you a very candid, real question, and it was a question that I wanted just for me. I said, with all the high-powered speakers and presenters in Zig's time and, and the folks that I grew up hearing and seeing uh, with their messages, why did he – rise above the rest and become the icon of trust that Ziegler is today. And the answer you gave me was not at all what I was expecting. And I asked your permission to share this somewhat intimate story in a show someday. And that day is now. <laughs> well, you know, I think I gave you the, the answer. I said his, his, his secret ingredient, uh, the thing that made him, what he was was what I call brokenness. Mm -hmm. Of anybody that I'd ever seen, Dad exhibited this quality, and, and I and I stumbled upon this through a study. And the study was real simple. Uh, I was studying the Bible, and I, I asked myself a question: From God's perspective, what's the number one quality as a person that we could develop? Mm -hmm. What is it that we could develop? That would please God. And of course, when you look in scripture, there are things like obedience and love and humility. And, and I have to tell you, those are all incredibly important. But I, was, I wasn't going for five or six that are really good. I wanted to know which one was the most important. And I found this word in a book uh, called True Freedom. And I think it was Stephen Fry who wrote it. And, and he talked about brokenness. Now, what brokenness is is it's the, um, it, it's the ultimate humility, right? Like somebody who's humble, and we all appreciate uh, somebody being humble. Well, brokenness is the very essence of humility, right? Because if you were completely broken, that means you are completely humble. And so I, then I thought, well, what does a broken person believe? You know, how do they react and respond, and what do they do? And here's the ultimate foundation. A broken person believes that there's nothing they can do of eternal significance without God's help, mm -hmm. right? And so now you've got this influencer on the stage who's up there, and his spirit is a brokenness, which means I'm here to serve everybody in the room, and the only way that's going to happen is if I'm calling on God, a higher power than myself. And when I studied, okay, so what does a broken person do? Well, they do two things. Number one is they have a personal relationship with God. And number two, they have, they have a connection and, and, and a belief that their only responsibility is to share God's truth in love. God's truth in love. So imagine this. 
Dad walks out on stage. He has zero fear, right? Because he's not trying to please the people in the front row. He's not trying to please the person who who paid for the event. He's not trying to get people to laugh or smile to make Zig Ziglar feel good. His only goal was to share and to give God's truth in love. And because that transparency would come across from the room, that Zig wasn't in it for himself, he was just here in love, sharing God's truth in love, he was effective. People would take what he said and they would go to that next level. And then it took the burden off dad. You see, Uh I went deeper into this study and I discovered that a broken person never worries. They never worry. And the reason is, is they have no responsibility for what somebody does with God's truth in love, right? That's up to God. That's up to that individual. If you share, if you have a relationship with, with God and you share God's truth and love, what they do with what you share, that's up to them. So dad would walk off the stage and his only question was, did I honor God? Did I do the best I could? And if the answer was yes, then he went on with life full steam ahead, fearless, because he was walking out his purpose. And that is not... I don't believe the common perspective we would think of in regards to brokenness or humility. It kind of comes back to the scripture about the meek shall inherit the earth. And we think of meek, brokenness, humility. We don't think of somebody standing with confidence and authority on a stage, leading and guiding people to something better and standing strong. That's not what we think of as brokenness, but you just turned it around and in some ways said it just changed his motive. Which is, uh, well, that dives right into the next point he hit on the, in the message that we just heard. When the story of the twins with an alcoholic dad, the both felt they had no choice and went in totally opposite directions, which means obviously they did have a choice. And doesn't that mean, again, going back to what you said, we were talking about with Zig, you know, his motive of brokenness, we're talking about perspective. It's all about perspective. And if we realize that, we realize while we can't choose what happens to us, we can choose how we frame it. Yes. Absolutely. And, you know, just look, look at it. Dad is, is, uh, his perspective was he, he'd grown up in such a tough situation, right? You you know, his dad died when he was five and his mom who had a fifth grade education, uh, raised a family. He was the 10th of 12 kids. It was the heart of the depression. And so there was this unbelievable sense of, you know, poverty. I mean, he was, I learned at the end of dad's life that, uh, he told me, he said his family was considered the second poorest family in Yazoo City, Mississippi. Wow. And that is like the poorest state, the poorest city during the time of the Depression. I mean, it doesn't get much lower than that. And so he went on this journey trying to do all these things himself, and he realized, what's the point? I can't do it significantly without God's help anyway. And so his perspective flipped from I'm powerless to Hey, there's only one thing that makes eternal sense anyway. Yeah, and so that allowed him that that it's a paradigm shift, and and I see it with other uh, other influential like Nick Voicek is one of them. Oh, the, geez, yeah. He's an amazing guy. He's a speaker, uh, an evangelist. He he was born without arms, without legs, and when you see him speak on the stage, and you meet him face to face, he radiates love, and he's like the most fearless person in the room. Right. But the the irony of it is he's also the most defenseless person in the room. I mean, think about it. He can't run away. 
and he can't protect himself with his arms. And the reason he's able to, to do that is because he knows that when he shares the truth in love, that is when significance happens and that is when lives are changed. And there is no greater power than that. So because of that, you're fearless. Well, so in that, I hear you again, go, talking back to Zig's upbringing, and how hard it was. And I mean, he has an upbringing unlike what you and I had. You know, my dad had some similar hardness, not quite to that extent, but in his in his childhood. And he used that to strengthen himself and to overcome it and then, you know, to benefit from that. Not that there was not regret in some of that hardness, but we so often come back to that. I mean, yeah, as you talked about with Nick, no arms, no legs. How many people would that just devastate their life? He used it to strengthen himself. Now, that can sound pithy, folks, and it's not to minimize the hardships of your life, but to take those and say, how can I take those? What strengths can they give me, have they given me, that I can utilize to help and serve others uh, as opposed to the opposite, which is letting those things overcome you. I don't say that with, again, minimizing anything. I don't say that as an easy thing to do, but that's the essence of what we're talking about because we see so many people who do rise to significant places of success that came from hardship. And we've talked about that before, Tom. So, so in this clip, he goes on to say, uh, to reference an overhead projector. And if those of you are as old as Tom and I are, you at least remember overhead projectors before the fancy stuff we have now. But he had one, uh, and he was using it in an event, and it was out of focus. And honestly, Tom, as I was listening to it, I didn't know if uh, it was uh, he was just using uh, something that happened as a mistake in there or if he actually had it out of focus so he could make the analogy that, it, that he did. But it got me to thinking on that, how many of... Those listening, like me, like you, Tom, often feel like you have all the ingredients for success. You have all the ingredients for joy, happiness, and fulfillment. You have all the ingredients, ingredients for peace and for gratitude. So much to be grateful for. And yet you're just not at peace. You're discontent. You're unsettled. You're ill at ease. You're depressed. You're despairing even. Or maybe nothing quite that acute. You just realize you are not okay. And you got to deal with that. And you wonder what is wrong with you, and you end up, a lot of times I see uh, folks, Tom, especially guys, I think, primarily feeling just guilty. I have all this to be grateful for, but I'm just not okay. And so they're down on themselves. So, Tom, how often do you see this and realize someone, it's not that they're so far off track. They are not doing anything significantly wrong. They're just merely out of focus. You know, it's actually, I think, probably the most common thing that derails us from our from our ability to focus, from our ability to uh, live on purpose, for a purpose, with a purpose, to make a purpose, uh, is that sense of that internal voice that's in the back of our head going, you know what, you've got all this stuff and you, and, and you know what to do and you don't do it. You know, you're, you just don't measure up. You know, why even bother? Why even try? It's just going to happen the way it did. Yeah. And that's why when I and that's why this is so fundamental and, and you know this this episode's going a little bit spiritual, but when you when you understand where dad was coming from in his brokenness, he realized that, hey, you know what, his security, his power, his his ability to make a difference didn't come from him. Like he's not an eternal solution, right? What all he was gifted in pointing out truths that lead to the author of truth, right? 
And so he claimed it. And that's the challenge is we get on ourselves and we and we 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 beat ourselves up and we think of the negative results we've had in the past because we did things wrong or or maybe we did the best we could and it just didn't work out. And we think it has to do with us. You know, we think we think that we're the one that doesn't have what it takes. And the reality is is we do have what it takes, but we've got to claim it. We've got to keep moving forward. And when things don't go wrong or the way we want them to, a lot of times it's because we've given up or we haven't followed through or we haven't really lived out that walk, right? You know, that idea that what I greatly feared has come to pass. You know, I may be stealing some of your, your thunder in what we're doing. <laughs> is, is I say this, I say what you feed your mind determines your appetite. Dad said, selling is a transference of feeling. And so we've got to overwhelm our, our self-talk with the right kind of messages because the dark messages, the evil messages, I can tell you they don't come from God because God created us in his image to prosper, to do well, to be a light into the world, to make a difference in others. And so, and so what we need to do is when we get those negative things coming up, not only do we need to say, no, that's not me, but we've got to immediately go and put the truth in and, and, and say, no, no, I was created for these things. This, this is the knowledge I have. I've studied. I've learned. And that's where in the book Born to Win, Dad said you've got to plan, prepare, and expect to win, right? And when we do the planning and the preparing, it's like the bowling example we used. We, you know, we want to do well and we want to go bowling and we're going to score a high score. So we work on our grip on the ball and we work on our stance and we work on our approach to the lane and we do the arm swing and the follow through. That's what we work on. And as soon as we let the ball go, there's nothing else we can do. We've got to trust it. And I think that's what happens in our head is we do all the work and then we let it go. And then as soon as we let it go, we start doubting what we just did. Yeah. We can't. We can only trust it. Uh, things that we can do is we can look at the process that got us to the throw. Did we do everything in the process possible? And if we did, then we just got to walk in faith. We got to walk in expectation. Good things are going to happen. If we didn't do everything before we let the ball go that we should have, we could work on that. And that's what dad did when he went on stage. He said, do I have a relationship, a vibrant relationship with God? Is that intact? Answer is yes. Okay, I've only got one thing to do now. Share the truth and love. That's it. That's all I got to do. And what does a vibrant relationship with God mean? It means that you're doing everything to your utmost ability to follow the principles that he's laid out for you. And that's what we got to do in life. Yeah. We got to walk our talk. And once, once the walk is done, we just go in faith that the results are going to come. Well, I'm thinking we might change the title of today's show to what you said. We're going spiritual. How's that for a headline? <laughs> hey, that's, that's where the truth is. And you said something in there. You said, you know, knowing when something comes up, knowing that, hey, that's not me and going towards the truth, that requires us to understand what our focus is. And, yeah, talking spiritual, I think a lot of people will say, yeah, my focus is to, to serve the Lord. Well, well, sure, but in what way? I mean, we've got to know, again, that focus. What is your specific role? And so on this topic of focus, it makes me, uh, uh, I, I envision, my kids play a lot out in the sun. They'll take magnifying glasses, you know, a uh, uh, magnifying glass and burn something into the sun. But the hard part is, you know, you've got the, you got the magnifying glass, you've got the sun, you've got a piece of wood, whatever, all the ingredients are there. But you have to get that magnifying glass in just the right spot before you can harness all those ingredients into focus and get that laser that will burn and leave its mark. And so, I mean, isn't that what we all want to do, Tom? Yeah. And Kevin, let me just say this, because yeah. uh, I know 
the the podcast listenership is going nuts. You know, we've got yeah. hundreds of thousands of downloads happening constantly. And so, for those of the listeners here who who may not have a spiritual walk, this is this is what I want to I want to say to you is what I just said makes total logic. Even if you're not spiritual, here's why. Dad said this. He said, "A positive attitude is always better than a negative attitude. Always, right? So the self-talk, the idea that there are principles and ethics that we can live by, all of these things, regardless of your spiritual condition, will work for you. Uh, we just believe it comes from a faith perspective. And I know this that it's not negative to point out facts. Some people confuse." positive thinking with with people who are afraid to address real issues mm-hmm. hey there's real issues uh, we talked about nick a minute ago i mean the reality is he's got the real issue his life is totally different because he doesn't have arms and legs he has to plan around that yeah. it's a fact he's got to accept it and by accepting it as a fact and saying okay what can i do now he just has to get ready an hour earlier than everybody else in order to get on the road because it takes him longer. Yeah. So that's how a positive attitude always works better than a negative. How looking at what you can do versus what you can't do is really what changes the world. Gosh, I, I love it. I, I mean, we're talking so much about, yeah, about focus, about making a difference. And on that, I like that aspect of leaving a mark. And I, it's, it's interesting because I think we keep coming back to that, which you talked about earlier about, you know, is this, we're doing a lot of youth, a lot of self-focus here, but it's self-focus to be a better benefit to others. So when I talk about even leaving a mark, we want to leave a mark. Yeah, we want to make a difference. A difference that matters. I mean, if we don't, isn't that like the tree that fell in the woods? You know, if nobody's around to hear it, did it make a sound? How many people pass through life? Have you ever been to a fu- Let's not name names here, but I've been to a funeral where you realize that person, they did not leave a void. I mean, God love them. And somebody tries to stand up front and say something nice, but there just wasn't a lot to give. I mean, we would, that's deathbed regrets. I mean, we'd hate that. I mean, is there anything more tragic than that? When we go through life with no intentional end in sight. And I'm going to step on some toes, including my own. I mean, I remember at a time thinking, man, if, the, if I, as a guy, if the only thing I'm doing is just doing the basics, of, you know, providing for my family. I think a lot of people say, Hey, I'm, I'm providing for my family and that's good. You know what? My life insurance policy can provide probably better than I am today. So let's take that off the table. Aside from just the big, what am I doing to leave my mark for the benefit of my family and others? Um, now Zig says, as he often does, and it's a title of the book, that uh, you and your dad did, Tom, you were, you know, born to win. You were born to win, but you got to plan, prepare, and expect to win. I mean, how many times do you guys repeat that? That is a mantra. Now, my gut reaction in hearing that again is usually to talk about that, the planning, the preparing, and the expecting aspect of that statement. But I actually think that's kind of putting the cart before the horse. I think you'll agree. I mean, let's ask ourselves now. I mean, do we really believe we were born to win. Like a lot of folks, if they really uh, get introspective, will think, no, it's not the way that I'm living and thinking. And so if that's hard to swallow, let's flip it. Do you believe you were born to lose? Okay, well, if that's too far the other way, then let's get in the middle. Do you feel you were born to be average, mediocre? Or, or were some just born to be extraordinary? Some people, you know, the, 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 the lucky people born to be extraordinary. And some, maybe you, born to be filler, you know, like God needed some 
uh, some to shine and be useful, but the rest were just put on earth to fulfill the daily quota of required human being production that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit created in their production model. Uh, or it had nothing to do with them, but your parents just willy-nilly did their thing, and you plopped out, and there's no plan or purpose to your life. You're just here to do your time, you know, maybe do a little good, mainly not to do any bad. I mean, it sounds funny, but I, I think this whole scenario is tragically literal, uh, and Tom, I mean, what's your take on it? Do you think it's a legitimate reality of how many are living their lives? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, one of one of my mentors, Rabbi Lappin, he basically says there's two kinds of people in the world. There's light people who are light people and people who are cake people. And cake, the, the example he uses is there's, you know, the economy, the world is a cake, right? And if you've got a bigger piece of cake than I do, that means you've got some of my cake, hmm. Right. And so people look around and they say, oh, you know, people are taking from me. You, you know, I, I'm not, I don't have my own. I was born in this situation. I was born in Yazoo City and my dad died when I was five and I had to go to work when I was six and I'm never going to be anything, right? I mean, that's literally how some people think. You yeah. got my cake. Huh. And then there's light people and light people, they have this lit candle and they go share an idea or a concept with somebody else or they sell them something. And what they do is they take that lit candle and they light that other person's candle, right? They're sharing that idea. They're selling an idea. They're selling a product or a service. And because they make that transaction, there's more light than when they're started. And so when I walk out into a room in different countries of the world and I see in in, in different cities and different economic circumstances. I wonder as I go out there, is this a room full of light or a room full of cake? Because if they're cake people, they're going to say, Hey, you know what? What's the, why bother? It's a conspiracy against me. And if it's light people, it's like, I've, I've got this huge torch and I'm throwing this light around and everybody's dipping their candle in it. And and the whole room is literally just going off with, this is what we can do. I challenge you. Whichever side of the fence you're on, from a logical perspective, there is no benefit to being a cake person because cake people are dependent upon other people to make their life better. Light people know they can make their own life better. And I don't know about you, but I like to be in control of my own life. I mean, as a human, that's what we all love. And so why not take control and do the little things in your own life that will give you more light to share with others? And when you do that, everything changes. Man, it totally reminds me of uh, way back when having our first kid, maybe for, maybe second kid, might have been around the third when we decided we were done. Um, that obviously that didn't last since we had four more after that. But at the time, I thought, I thought, man, how can we have more kids? I remember the conversation with my wife. How can we have more? I, I it takes so much to devote what we feel like we're you know we should devote to these kids to have more. It's just I'm not going to have that much. And even the amount of love that I felt for them, how can I add another and give them that much love? Of course, what we found out later is, man, you have more. God multiplies that love. Uh, there's not a finite amount. Again, we were looking at it with a cake mentality, just like you talked about. Well, man, coming back to something yeah, you, that you mentioned uh, just a moment ago, Zig in this message referenced Job. And folks, that's, again, in the Bible, uh, the, the story of Job where he said, that which I feared greatly has come to pass. Obviously, a self-fulfilling prophecy, in essence, is what Zig was pulling out of that. And it's why he put so much focus on the positive self-talk that we do. And uh, recently, we promoted the self-talk cards, which, folks, you can still get those at Ziggler.com 
forward slash self-talk. I, I don't know. I think we've had close to 2,000 people at this point who have gone and just downloaded that. Totally free. You're welcome to it. But it was the point is changing the prophecy. It's not about just talking stupid stuff you don't believe to yourself. It's No, it's changing your self-fulfilling prophecy. So he said, you move to the strongest impression in your mind. Now, Tom, I've heard this message a lot of times. I have never heard it said in that type of verbiage. You move. We automatically move to the strongest impression in our minds. And he referenced a football team who was determined not to lose the game in comparison to the team who beat them that was determined to win the game. Uh, Which brings us back to the focus and the quote I led the show off with. When you don't have focus, you put energy into not losing what you have and you don't gain much. When you have focus, you put energy into gain and you can't lose. So again, that could sound pithy, but Tom, is that not the very essence of what Ziegler's about? Absolutely, Kevin, and it, and it and this boils down to the number one lesson that Dad taught me. I mean, this is the essence, and I boil it down into the quote that I use, and this is a lesson he taught me: "Your what you eat determines your appetite." Right? I mean, bottom line, you know what what you feed your mind determines your appetite. Hmm. It's literal and it's figurative, but what you feed your mind determines your appetite. Here's what I mean by this. People who are in a weight loss scenario, <laughs> they, they walk through life going, don't eat that, don't eat that, don't eat that, don't eat that. Mm-hmm. Right? So guess what happens? They eat that, they eat that, they eat that. <laughs> the thing they feared mostly has come to pass. Yeah. People who are in a healthy lifestyle you know, they want to be as healthy as they can be. Their mind all day long is going, eat that, eat that, do this, exercise, you know, run that trail, ride that bike, eat, you know, take that walk, right? It's all positive stuff. So when I'm focused on becoming the right kind of person by doing the right things, I want to do it more and more and more. And so for me, what you feed your mind determines your appetite. When I read health and nutrition articles and books and, and how to juice and what to eat and the newest studies that come out, I don't even want the bad stuff. Mm-hmm. But if I go a couple of weeks and the only input I get is random TV commercials and, and you know what I read on the menu at a restaurant and you know what happens in the magazine page, then I start eating the bad stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I, I'm pretty good about staying away from it now, but what you feed your mind determines your appetite. It is everything. Okay. Folks, if, if you take nothing away from this show, there you go. What you eat determines your appetite. Love it. Tom, thank you. Folks, thanks for being with us. Tune in next week to hear the Art of Charm host, Jordan Harbinger, tell us his Zig story, the story that altered the course of his life and helped lead him to the wildly successful show and business he has today. Look forward to being with you then. Thanks for tuning in to The Ziggler Show. Sign up for new show alerts at ZiglerShow.com. You can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want.